Hello and welcome to episode 317 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you for joining me today for this story from Brighton on England's south coast. Today's story talks about someone who had achieved so much in their young life, but it took just one brief encounter for their future, their hopes and dreams to be taken away. As always, before we begin, a huge thank you to all my supporters at Patreon, but especially the new members of our community. That is Jason Clarkson, Debbie Patey and Jennifer Jolly. Thank you so much for your support. This podcast is brought to you by Typology. Since launching in 2018, Typology have quickly become the number one online skincare brand in France, and it's not hard to see why. I love the simplicity as they create clean skincare products with pair-back formulations. Just the essentials, nothing more. And with naturally active ingredients, they are extremely effective. This month, they kindly sent me their Discovery gift set, which is a great way to discover typology through 10 miniature products across the face and body care range. There is something for everyone at Typology for all budgets. Their gift set starts from just £41 and they are beautifully wrapped in Typology's signature orange gift box. So if you want to buy someone a thoughtful gift this year, go to uk.typology.com slash truecrime. And if you follow the link, you'll receive a free purifying cleansing bar with charcoal with £12. Perfect for the person on your naughty list. Order by Friday the 16th of December for delivery in time for Christmas. That's uk.typology.com slash truecrime. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is so difficult sometimes, isn't it? I know that when my wife's brother died earlier this year in his 30s of a brain tumour, we were often lost and wondered where the playbook was to cope with all that was happening. But there is no user manual to help us make sense of what is happening and how to cope. But therapists can help us all at these most challenging of times. They're trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of that complex engine, you. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match for a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new one anytime. It really couldn't be simpler. There's no waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash truecrime. That's B-E-T-T-E-R. H-E-L-P dot com slash true crime. Okay, let's quickly set some context for today's story with our multi non-award winning guest of the month and year game. Top of the UK charts was Paramore with Brand New Eyes and in the US at the summit was Down from Jay Sean featuring Lil Wayne. In Australia, the best-selling album this week was Black Eyed Peas and The End. You know, for Australia, I really need to find a story when Horses from Daryl Braithwaite is still in the charts. It's been way too long, hasn't it? In the news this month, Jensen Button finished fifth in Brazil 
to win his first F1 title. I think I was washing my hair, so unfortunately missed it. The UK Supreme Court officially opened. The UK postal workers voted 3-1 to one in favour of taking strike action over job security and working conditions. The British National Party leader Nick Griffin made a controversial first appearance on the BBC One political debate programme Question Time. That was when people used to bother to watch Question Time. The Evening Standard became a free newspaper. And finally, this month saw the death at just 33 of boy's own singer Stephen Gately. So did you guess the month and year? It was October 2009. Today's story comes from Brighton on England's south coast. It was the night of Thursday the 15th of October 2009 when the fire brigade were called. Neighbours in Brighton heard a smoke alarm sounding and the firefighters quickly arrived on the scene. Using breathing apparatus, they made their way into the one-bedroom flat and the smoke was thick as two firefighters made their way to the burning bedroom where there were flames and thick black smoke. The bed was on fire and another patch behind the door was alight. As the two firefighters searched the room, the situation they'd been dreading occurred and they discovered a body lying on the floor. It was a woman lying on her back who had suffered severe burns, and there was no sign of life. The body found was identified as 29-year-old Andrea Waddell. The tabloids, as you may expect, concentrated on the fact that Andrea was a sex worker who had been born a male called Alex. But there's so much more to Andrea's life in her short time on this planet. She grew up with two loving parents and a brother Nick in Berkshire. Going to school in Reading, Andrea was very bright academically, but she was somewhat awkward socially and found it difficult to join in with that laddish banter at school and she suffered some bullying, some really nasty bullying. This led from the third year onwards to a real drop in Andrea's grades and she became even more isolated socially. But despite having such a hard time at school, Andrea maintained her sense of humour and developed her interests in literature, animal rights, and frankly, people. Being kind and really caring for those people lucky enough to be her friend, or just who she met in the course of her daily life. But from about 13, she also suffered from tremendous physical discomfort, due to scoliosis, which is severe sideways curvature of the spine. At just 17, doctors performed a six-hour operation, to insert metal rods and fuse her spine, which partially corrected the problem. Andrea also suffered from fibromyalgia, which is a syndrome of problems including painful muscles, abdominal problems, sleeplessness and depression. It's really so debilitating. In 1999, Andrea enjoyed a gap year as an English language teaching assistant at a secondary school in Prague for the spring and summer terms. She had a great time there. Her experiences were many and varied and she wrote amusingly about the pupils' characteristics and the advantages of turning up at different times for lessons as a teacher. Throwing herself into the local community, Andrea wrote a number of articles to a local journal, including one on the subject of cocktails. 
When she returned, she went on to study philosophy at the University of Durham, achieving her degree. But it was at this time that Andrea really seriously started questioning her gender and at this time started hormone treatments ahead of a sex change. A statement from Andrea's family after her death explained, This was all taking place during Alex's three years at the University of Durham, where he was studying philosophy, by the end of which time the sober-suited young man had become an attractive young woman called Andrea Joanna. From there, Andrea moved to Brighton, where she studied for an MA in social and political thought at the University of Sussex, which was completed in 2006. During this time, Andrea was able to have a gender change operation. She studied massage and aromatherapy at City College Brighton and travelled to Thailand twice to study massage. She loved the weather, food and people of this country and at the time of her death she'd been saving hard to go back. In daily life in Brighton, Andrea wasn't one to sit and watch life going on TV. She cared about things, she cared about the environment, she cared about animal rights and believed passionately in veganism. She cared about promoting peace and ending wars and she was active in the community to support her beliefs. And literally in the week before her death, she was making progress in her aim to become a mainstream model using the name Fuchsia, developing her portfolio. If you look online, you can see these professional pictures. Andrea's family were unaware that she was selling sex when she died. But for all those people who have an issue with people doing this, I love the statement her family gave after her death. They said the following. Andrea was a wonderful daughter and we are amazingly proud of her, in spite of her having a life which we didn't know about. She was often incapacitated by pain and unable to work, and we know she was concerned about how to make a living and be independent. If her decision on how to achieve this took her down unusual paths, then who are we to judge? But she's never hurt anybody and has never done anything to upset anyone. She was there for everybody, a generous and caring person. She'd been through so much. Absolutely right. And it was apparent that Andrea had left an indelible impression on many others. Her best friend wrote after her death, You were the most dazzling, brilliant and cheeky rebel I ever met. You were funny, intellectual and glamorous. Your philosophy was an eternal source of inspiration for me. I'll try to be more like you, confident, daring, light-footed and refreshing, like a cup of peppermint tea. And during his moving eulogy at his sister's funeral, her brother Nick said, Andrea challenges us all to live life for the moment, to enjoy the world, not just in the gentle routine of day-to-day life, but to see it more clearly, to drink it more deeply through the possibilities that art literature and philosophy open up to us. Andrea didn't care what anyone thought of her and as long as she knew that she was living by her own moral code, she didn't feel that need to justify herself. Having spent, like many people, a large part of my life worrying what other people thought of me, I find that a profoundly liberating philosophy. Adam again, I find it a profoundly liberating philosophy, don't you? Detectives had a number of potential suspects who they managed to trace, mainly those who had seen Andrea in her sex work capacity, 
those who knew her outside of this work made clear that she was a gentle soul who wouldn't have had enemies. One of those customers tracked down was 42-year-old satellite TV installer Neil McMillan. He lived in Brighton and was found by detectives through the number of calls and texts he had made to Andrea. Once in custody, he claimed he had not killed Andrea, telling officers, I'm in my 40s and I'm Scottish and I didn't do it. Quite what being Scottish has got to do, but I'm not so sure. Macmillan admitted being with her on the day that she died, but he insisted that she was alive when he last saw her, adding, she was leaning over the bath. He told how he had left as someone else who'd arrived who he didn't want to see, he didn't want to bump into. He told how he had discovered Andrea's profile on the sex work site Adult Work whilst in the pub. He had drunk seven pints that evening before making contact with Andrea and agreeing to buy sex from her for £140, which was a one-hour appointment at her one-bedroom flat in Brighton. Macmillan said he'd actually forgotten that Andrea was the same person he booked just two weeks ago, but he didn't actually meet as he fell asleep. When he got to her flat, he told officers that she dropped the price to £90 because she could only give him half an hour as somebody else was due to arrive. During the time he spent at the flat, he said he heard a key being entered into the door and appeared to hear someone go to another part of the building. So he immediately left, then went to a taxi rank, had a cigarette, spoke to his landlord, and then went to bed straight away after getting home. Detectives suggested that he may have killed Andrea when he realised that she was born male. Macmillan denied this, saying he was completely unaware of this until after his arrest. He said, I did not punch or strangle Andrea Waddell. I did not hurt Andrea in any way. I did not kill her. Detectives asked if Andrea had died after a sex game had gone wrong. But again, Macmillan denied this, saying, I went to Upper Lewis Road for a bit of straight sex. Nothing extraordinary, if you like. He continued that he'd been unable to get an erection during his time with Andrea but this had not made him angry, as it was his own problem, not Andrea's. He denied being a violent person who often lost control or who experienced outbursts of anger. Macmillan denied having an obsession with sex, but he said it did play a large part in his life. He told how he would spend a lot of time looking at porn and looking for sex workers that he could visit. He told how he'd even look at porn and sex workers on his laptop while out drinking at his local pub in the evenings. Macmillan said that he hadn't looked at Andrea's profile after her death. Asked why he had wiped his laptop, he said this was nothing to do with Andrea, but something he did all the time as clearing the computer's history every few days enabled his machine to work more efficiently. As a self-confessed prolific user of sex workers, It's not surprising that a number of other sex workers came forward to discuss their experiences with him. One, Megan, told how she'd arranged to meet Macmillan just two days before the murder, but she failed to keep the appointment. They'd met a month earlier via adult work and then had sex, and he later tried to arrange to meet her to celebrate his birthday. He asked her to meet for a drink at a local pub before going back to his home 
where he was a lodger. Macmillan offered to pay Megan £150, but when she didn't arrive at the pub, he texted her offering to double the fee. She said, when he rang, he doubled it. He said he would then pay me a grand to put down a deposit for a flat because I was in council accommodation. But Megan turned him down and didn't turn up that evening. Macmillan's behaviour straight after Andrea's death had aroused suspicion. When he returned back to his rented room that evening, his landlord immediately noticed something different in him. He told detectives how Macmillan appealed pale-faced compared to his usual ruddy look and that he was quiet and didn't appear to be his normal self at all. Immediately after arriving back, Macmillan stripped off his clothes and asked his landlord if he could use the washing machine, saying he needed to do some urgent washing as he needed some clothes for work the following day. As well as this, he took his second shower of the evening. He'd showered before he went out that evening. And he removed the laces from the boots he had worn to Andrea's flat that evening. And he still wasn't himself the next day at work, when a number of his colleagues commented that he seemed much more quiet and subdued than usual. In June 2010, 42-year-old satellite TV installer Neil McMillan stood trial at Lewis Crown Court, accused of punching Andrea Waddell in the face, then strangling her and setting fire to her one-bedroom first-floor flat in Upper Lewis Road, Brighton, on October the 15th, 2009. The prosecuting QC, Flint, summarised the case, saying, Macmillan took a taxi to her road when the driver noted that he was getting very worked up and angry. The taxi dropped him off in the Upper Lewis Road area and he phoned Andrea. It was after that, we say, in a drunken and angry mood, the defendant made his way into the block of flats up the stairs and within an hour, Andrea Waddell was dead and her flat was set on fire in two separate locations in the bedroom. There was no doubt that the fires were set deliberately. The flames couldn't have hopped and electrical faults were not to blame. It's our case that the defendant, Neil McMillan, is the man who killed Andrea, having spent the evening accessing pornography and escort sites on his computer. He made his appointment for an hour, with due enough cash for his appointment and arrived at her address at 10.30pm and left at around 11.30pm, by which time Andrea was dead brutally strangled and set alight. When he did get home, he rapidly changed out of and insisted on washing the clothes he'd been wearing in Andrea's flat and he had another shower. The defendant's account that there was an unnamed stranger lurking in the flat is, we would contend, a complete fiction. It's an account, we would suggest, unsupported by others in the flat from her telephone and computer records and from other bookings she had on that night. The jury didn't believe Macmillan and found him guilty of murder, for which he was sentenced to life in prison, with the minimum tariff set at 22 years. Addressing Macmillan, the judge said, What you did that night brought to an end a life which, in many views, was one of relentless difficulty face of extreme courage. The person you killed was a person who had always sought to overcome difficulties. 
On the other hand, faced with a difficulty in that flat, whatever that was, you chose to take it out on her. You strangled her with relentless pressure for over 20 seconds. There was the distinction between you and her. Once you lost control, for whatever reason, and which cannot be regarded as justified, you formed the intention to destroy her, to kill her. It wasn't an accident, and you continued to hold her round her neck, crushing the neck structures until she was dead. Having done that, you then dragged her back into the bedroom and set fire to her, and set fire to the bed on which together you had laid. The reason you were frightened that there would be some trace of your presence in that flat to prove, in fact, that you were the last person to have seen her. Outside court, Andrea's family issued a statement which said the verdict could not take away their terrible sense of loss and pain. But they said, As a family, we can now remember Andrea, her passions, and the causes she fought for during her life, knowing that the person who callously extinguished that life is behind bars. They added they hoped that everyone who had read about Andrea would be inspired to live their lives true to themselves and not to judge other people for their differences. A few months later, in October 2010, Macmillan was found guilty of a rape which took place just five weeks before he murdered Andrea. The court heard that the victim had gone to Macmillan's room to collect money he owed her in the September, but he raped her. The jurors at that trial at the Old Bailey were not told about his previous murder conviction. The judge told them, Don't feel you've been deprived of an important information that would have assisted you. You tried the case as you heard and saw in court, as you were bound to do. As for Macmillan, with the help of a new solicitor, he later made noises about appealing his murder conviction, claiming bizarrely, I didn't get a fair trial and was painted out to be something I wasn't from the start. I was made out to be sex-obsessed and violent, but that's never been the case. During the trial, I felt I was being seen as an outsider and that I was the victim of an anti-Scottish witch hunt. I felt I was treated like a second-class citizen because I was Scottish. The finger was pointed at me because I am Scottish and not originally from that area. I don't think we want to hear any more from or about Macmillan, do you? Some months after Andrew had been killed, when Sussex police had completed their investigation, the family were given Andrea's few belongings that hadn't been damaged by fire and water. The laptop still worked, and the family were able to retrieve Andrea's poems, which she had written between 2003 and 2007, and which she'd always intended to submit for publication. A lasting legacy for Andrea, and you can view her work online. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Another woman murdered by a man in the place where she should have been the most safe of anywhere, the bedroom of her own home. Another case where a man feels it's okay to attack a sex worker. It's just not. And a woman who had come through so much and had so much to live for, to have her hopes and dreams extinguished at just 29 years old. Today, 
let me leave you with the words of Andrea's brother, Nick, when he spoke outside court after the trial. We hope everyone who has read about Andrea over the last seven months will be inspired by her, as we all are, to live their lives true to themselves, not to judge other people for their differences, and to strive to make the world a better and more just place. Fine words, indeed. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of the UK True Crime, please join over 85,000 of us at the UK True Crime Facebook group. Just search on Facebook, UK True Crime. It's many things, it's never dull. And to support the show and keep me producing a weekly podcast, please join me at patreon.com slash UK True Crime. There are bonus episodes and loads of behind the scenes bits and pieces. And if you join this month on an annual subscription, you will not just get 10% off, but also a free signed copy of my book about Scottish serial killer Angus Sinclair. Just head to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash UK True Crime. The perfect Christmas present. <laughs> okay, so that's all for me for another week. So until we speak again on Tuesday, please do take it easy, despite, despite all the others. And most of all, please, please stay classy. Cheerio for now.